We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You are listening to The Uncontested an Oklahoma City Thunder and NBA podcast featuring Jacob. All you haters come at me. Taylor. You're a step past a hater like I'm Rondo. Upgrade your baby mama to a condo. Nick. I really wouldn't mind taking a flyer on Swaggy Pete. Kamiar. I just got done taking a nap. And Justin. I'm too fast. What is up, everybody, and welcome to the Uncontested Podcast. We are a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. You can find us anywhere you download your podcast, and we are on Twitter at the underscore uncontested. Our network, Blue Wire, is also on Twitter at Blue Wire Pods. Welcome to episode two of our season preview series. We've had an awesome week talking to different guests about different teams in the league, and so we're really excited for you guys to check this one out. This week, we are covering four teams. We've got the Cavs, the Hornets, the Heat, and the Pistons. If you haven't noticed yet, I don't know if we've mentioned it, but our order of covering teams, we're going Eastern Conference, last season's 15th seed, all the way up to number one. And then we're going Western Conference, 15th seed, up to one. Some of them get a little bit out of order, but that's generally our direction. So for this week... Our four guests for the Cavaliers, we have Evan Damerel, who covers the Cavs for Forbes and is a contributor to Fear the Sword. For the Hornets, we have Blue Wire's own Richie Randall. He is the host of the Buzz Beat podcast. For the Heat, we got David Ramil. He covers the Heat for the Step Back Forbes, and he is the host of the Locked on Heat podcast. And then lastly, the last team we'll cover are the Pistons. For them, we got Laz Jackson. Uh, he works for SB Nation. He is the the editor for the Pistons site, the Detroit Bad Boys, and the host of the podcast, the Detroit Bad Boys, which is in conjunction with SB Nation. So four awesome guests who are really plugged in with those teams, gave us some really good content, 
So without further ado, I'm just going to go ahead and patch you guys in. Um, for each interview, we name drop these guys. We we shout out their Twitter handles and whatnot. So make sure you go give them a follow. Not only are they good team-specific coverage, but they're just really, really intelligent NBA guys with a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience, and, and they're just good Twitter follows. So show them some support. Go hit that follow button on Twitter. If you're interested, you can check out their podcasts as well. Uh, and without further ado, let's just jump right into Nick's interview with Evan Dameron. All right, guys, we're now joined by Evan Damarell. He covers the Cavs for both Forbes as well as Fear the Sword. How are you doing today, Evan? Not too bad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you being on. You're uh, definitely a good Cavs guy to have. If you guys don't follow him, uh, go ahead and follow him on Twitter at AmNotEvan. Uh, he's got a lot of good basketball insight outside of the Cavs, so you don't have to be a Cavs fan to follow him. Uh, just a lot of good basketball stuff in general. Uh, so just kind of to recap the Cavs season last year, uh, it was their first season without LeBron James, and I feel like it kind of went just how everyone expected. They won 19 games and posted the worst net rating in the NBA. Uh, Kevin Love led the team in scoring, although he only played in 22 games, uh, just due to a combination of injuries and load management. Uh, rookie Colin Sexton had a pretty solid rookie season, averaging 16.7 points per game while shooting 40.2% from downtown. Uh, definitely still has some more room to improve and develop a more efficient game, in my opinion. Uh, but definitely some good things from him. So based on last season, did that kind of go how you expected? Worse? Better? How were your, What were your thoughts on that? Um, it's kind of like you have to take it in two phases here. When Kevin Love went down with that injury... Um, you could kind of tell the writing was on the wall. Well, I mean, even when Kevin Kevin Love played through the injury at first, and um, the Cavs didn't look too outstanding right out of the gates. But then, as soon as Love went down with the, with that injury, um, kind of you could tell it's like, all right, it's time for uh, it's time to embrace the rebuild a little bit because heading into the season, um, the Cavs spun the idea and the narrative that um, they still believe they had the pieces necessary to make the playoffs. Um, they sold a lot of their veterans on that idea as well. And um, as soon as that kind of went out the window, that's when they started having a fire sale and you saw Kyle Korver getting traded and then eventually George Hill. And then they bring in Del Vadova and John Henson and they did flip Korver for Alec Burks, who then in turn was flipped for Brendan Knight, Marquise Chris, and um, Houston's first-round pick in a three-team trade with Sacramento. So it's just – it was kind of a signal at the beginning and the end. So, yeah, once Kevin Love went down, you could kind of do – like it was at this point because there is quite a drop-off when you lose arguably the best player of all time. Yeah, understandable. And, and I think that the Thunder will go through some of those growing pains as well. You know, losing two superstars, uh, it's definitely going to be something we'll go through as well. Uh, on the note of you know roster transactions, though, the Cavs did have you know a relatively quiet off season. Uh, if you just want to touch on you know who you guys signed, who you guys lost, and uh, maybe speak on the depth a little bit of the roster for this upcoming season. Well, other well in the draft they added Darius Garland at five, Dylan Windler at twenty six, and then they traded four second-round picks in cash considerations to the Detroit Pistons for the 30th pick to get Kevin Porter. Um, at first glance, it was a little 
uh, confusing where the Cavs were going because they just drafted Sexton the year before. But um, you have to, have to look at the big picture here, and they're a team that is kind of starved for talent, so they can't be too particular on who they draft with their top pick. And then adding Windler was a great addition because he's expected and probably will be an immediate contributor to the rotation right out of the gates. And um, Kevin Porter is an exciting prospect, especially at 30th, because from what I've heard and what I've gathered, the Cavs had them had him in the top 10 of their big board. So it's a really great pickup at 30, and he's kind of a crapshoot because he has all the talent to be a star player in time, or if he can't get past his mental roadblocks, he could just be a career bench player, which is, like I said, the Cavs are at this point right now where they can take this kind of gamble. But um, like you said, yeah, they had a quietly, relatively quiet offseason. Otherwise, um, their big <laughs> free agent signings didn't come till early mid to mid-August, and they signed Sandarius Thornwell, uh, which he'll probably stick with the team through training camp in the better part of the season. Um, he's a defensive-minded wing. He's just extra depth at a position of need for the Cavs, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, he's pretty young, too, so it's just another project, another player that the Cavs can take a long, serious look at to see if he uh, fits into the team's future long-term. And then the other day they signed um, former Magic player uh, Jarrell Martin, um, who's also pretty young like Thordwell, and he just adds some power forward depth behind Kevin Love um, in the event he does get hurt. Um, But to answer your question about the depth chart situation, it's a little tricky because the Cavs are bloated with a lot of ball-dominant lead guards with Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Matthew Delvadova, Jordan Clarkson, uh, Kevin Porter, and um, Brandon Knight. And that's just a pretty crowded rotation to begin with. And then on the flip side, for big men who can't shoot, you have Tristan Thompson and Ante Zizek. And Larry Nance Jr. is developing a three-point shot. He's told me over the summer that he's trying to work more on be, being more of a three-point shooter just because of the way the league is transitioning. Um, John Henson did show little potential as a three-point shooter in Milwaukee, um, but never played for Cleveland last year, so the jury's still out on him. And then Kevin Love is the best player on the roster, and as uh, obviously he's an all-star forward. And um, he will play the four for the Cavs this year because playing him at center is never a good time for them. But, um, yeah, so it's just like they're a little loaded on both ends, and they're kind of the antithesis of a modern basketball team because they're lacking wing depth, which, like I mentioned, they have Dylan Windler and Sidarius Thornwell. But they also have Jetty Osmond, who is was a sophomore player last year, but it was more or less his rookie season because he didn't get a lot of playing time in LeBron's last season with the Cavs because they're a team that was trying to make the NBA Finals. They didn't. They couldn't afford or have the time or patience to give as much playing time as possible to a rookie. And Osmond showed flashes, and there's potential there. But um, the Cavs are primed with a lot of expiring deals, so I think and I have a lot of faith in the front office that they'll address some of the needs they have on the wing. Absolutely. And, and what may be more exciting for Cavs fans as far as you know what happened this summer uh, you guys did have some pretty significant coaching changes you guys brought in some impressive uh, coaching additions to kind of fill out that coaching staff what, what are your thoughts on 
the, the new coaching staff in Cleveland, as well as just the, the, the direction of the franchi- franchise in general uh, with ownership in the front office and things like that? Um, it's actually funny you mentioned that. We're, we're recording this on August 21st, and the Cavs just announced their finalized coaching staff today. Um, but you can tell from the press release that they're prioritizing player development, and it starts at the head of things with John Bayline out of Michigan. Um, it was definitely a surprise hire. Uh, if you read any of my stuff on Forbes, you can tell that I was pulling for uh, Nuggets assistant coach Jordy Fernandez or – uh, any of you, um, Alex Jensen out of Utah. Um, but I'm perfectly fine with the Bayline hire. Um, it takes a couple of boxes for the Cavs. Dan Gilbert has always gone after and tried to court big name college coaches. Uh, Coach K, John Calipari, uh, he kicks the tires on Tom Izzo every time there's a, the Cavs job opens up. And Bayline has quite a pedigree at the collegiate level. Um, there's definitely going to be a steep learning curve for him going from never coaching in the NBA to running the show for an NBA for a professional basketball team. And that'll definitely be tough, but he has a proven track record of making the most out of nothing with a lot of low star recruits, like two to three star recruits uh, with Michigan and turning them into serious NBA talent or like Nick Stauskas or Glenn Robinson just off the top of my head and um, so I think he's the perfect guy to lead the transition Um, I've said this before on Forbes as well that Bayline is pretty old for being a rookie head coach I think he's 66 and um, his deal is through uh, yeah, he's 66 years old, and his deal, his coaching, his contract with the team would last until he's 71, and realistically, I don't see it lasting that long, um, so that's why he's a bit of a good transition guy, Not maybe just set the foundation to build a culture and establish things to transition to one of his assistants, and there's plenty to pick from that I think are great hires. He, His associate head coach is J.D. Bakerstaff, who is the former head coach of the Grizzlies, um, obviously didn't have the best year with Memphis, but, um, they posted a superb defensive, uh, rating under him. And I think he'll definitely brought, be brought in to coordinate the defense for the Cavs. And I could maybe see him being an option down the line if he's here long enough. Plus it also helps that his dad is a part of the team's front office. Um, a guy I really definitely want to keep an eye on though is Antonio Lang, who's big on player development in Utah and he's joining Bayline staff and then even Lindsey Gottlieb as well who is a highly successful collegiate coach at the uh, NCAA women's level and she has a pedigree of developing players and making or helping develop consistent talent for at the WNBA level and um, she was way more than a token hire because she as bad as that sounds because a lot of people want to just some some people think that might be like oh the Cavs are just trying to get brownie points for being progressive but no she's legitimately been in the war room for the draft and involved in every step of the way for the process and player development and then um just to list a few other names just that are noteworthy um Mike Garrity is uh the one of the player development coaches that is being carried over from Ty Lue slash Larry Drew's staff from last year um, 
he is credited with being the guy who helped develop Colin Sexton in such a reliable three-point shooter and helping Jetty Osmond, who also was a bit shaky of a three-point shooter coming into the NBA, balance out as well. So that could be huge for players like Kevin Porter, who has a hitch in his jump shot right now. And if Garrity can work out the bumps and the ugliness of that, he could turn into a legitimate player. And then they also added... um, uh, they also brought back uh, or promoted Dan Garoy and Steve Frankowski to uh, assistant coaches in the player development role. And as you can tell, like I said, the Cavs are really pushing the idea of player development, which um, is key right now when you're going through a rebuild. And it's going to be a bit of a slow burn. You can't rush, rush this process, especially when you're in a non-glamour market like Cleveland. You have to accumulate talent and build a system of camaraderie and chemistry that creates the perfect balance between everything so that you can build a sustainable playoff contender long-term. And I think they're taking the right steps in the right direction for that. Absolutely. And we touched on this earlier. So last season, uh, the Cavs were pretty active when it came to player transactions and and trades and things like that. So kind of a two-part question. What are you expecting this upcoming season as far as, as roster transactions, whether it be uh, moving Kevin Love or anything else, and you know the second part of that question, like what are your expectations for this team going forward? Uh, do you expect them to be better than last year, worse than last year, about the same kind of? Or where do you, where do you see this team standing uh, when it comes to, to the playoffs next season? Uh, I don't see the playoffs really being an option, unfortunately. As Cle- Cleveland fans are always optimistic. Just look at the Browns right now. Everyone thinks they're going to win the Super Bowl, but. Um, kind of that guy in the back of the room who wants to say let's just pump the brakes a little bit but the Cavs you can you don't even have to gas this team up at all um I don't really see them being in the fight for the playoffs Vegas is usually a pretty good indicator of where teams are going to fall and right now they have them roughly between 24 and 25 wins and I think that's pretty fair you can hopefully get a healthy year out of Kevin Love and an offensive system of Baylines that features um big men who can shoot like love and runs a two-point guard set like that can utilize sexton and garland properly in the backcourt but um i just think there's so many young players that are going to get serious minutes on top of the fact that jordan clarkson tristan thompson ante zizek john henson matthew delavadova are all expiring deals and they could easily be flipped for to accumulate assets. And like I said before, this rebuilds a slow burn. So um, I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if all five of those players are either moved by the deadline or before the NBA draft. Because I think the J.R. Smith situation kind of taught the Cavs that you shouldn't sit on an asset for as long as you can because it could result in you getting absolutely nothing for it. I mean, the Cavs got financial flexibility and underneath the luxury tax threshold with JR, but the expectation amongst fans was a first-round pick, which, granted, is, like I said, Cleveland fans are a little unrealistic with stuff. So, um, yeah, but to answer your last question about Kevin Love, um, it's tricky. He is going to make... I'm going to pull up his contract right now just so I don't fudge the numbers completely. Next season alone, he's going to make $28.9 million, 
and then 31.3, 31.3, and then 28.9. He will be 30 years old and turning 31 next year. He's injury prone, and it's going to be tough to sell a lot of teams on trading for him. But I do believe there is a market out there for him. Um, there could be plenty of teams that are fighting, jockeying for positioning in the Western Conference playoffs. I think Portland is the hot, uh, the hot topic for them to uh, go after Love. And I think teams in the East as well, like Indiana, could be an option if they really don't want to for whatever reason, keep Miles Turner, Domitus Sabonis, if they have to give up one of them. I mean, it'd be tough to see Kevin Love go. He is an all-star. He willingly stuck it out with the Cavs even after LeBron left. And from what he's told me and what I've heard from the organization, he's perfectly happy here, and he wants to be here for the rest of his career. But at the same time, you also don't want to waste the last few. You don't want to feel like you're a fan, as a fan of this team, to see your team waste away the last few sustainable years of a star, an all-star level player and not let him vie for playoff contention and even a championship depending on how things shake out just because of how wide open the NBA is this year. Um, but it all just kind of depends. Like, If you can sell a team on him, great, but it also depends on what you're getting back for him. I know it seems a little hypocritical because I just preached like Maybe the Cavs and their fans overvalue their assets a little more than the rest of the league does. But I think Kevin Love is a bit of an exception here. Like I said, Cleveland isn't a glamour market. They have an all-star forward who will play a huge part in the development of their young players and also helping their rookie head coach transition to the next level. And also, he's a marquee player that casual fans can be associated with other than Del Vadova because he was just with the championship team. And he was a, he's a fan favorite. Um, to keep butts in the seats when the team is struggling in attendance numbers in mid-January and February when it's the absolute coldest out and um, the Browns are hopefully in the playoffs. So the Cavs are taking the third seat in Cleveland sports, but... That's why I would understand why they keep Kevin Love. But on the flip side, if you get a team that offers young players and or draft picks, I have been told multiple times it's pretty much Kobe Altman's condition to get him to the table to discuss a trade is you have to offer a combination of those. And um, there's actually an article by Bleacher Report <laughs> that was uh, posted out today saying that like straight up they would offer Kevin Love for Hassan Whiteside or Nick Batum. Those are bad trades. Let's just be frank. Um, now, if you threw in some draft picks with Charlotte, or if you threw in Nasir Little and future draft picks from Portland, because Portland's a serious playoff team, so those draft picks don't have as much value as Charlotte's, then the conversation's a little different. But if nothing materializes for Love, totally fine with just keeping him on the roster, letting him age gracefully and transition towards the his passion off the court, which is mental health awareness and... Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, the myself included, like, I think it'd be foolish to try and flip Kevin Love for pennies on the dollar when you can try and see if there's a team out there that'd be desperate enough to go after him, and if not, just hold on to him. 
So you mentioned uh, the Cavs are slated in Vegas with, uh, last time I checked, about 24 and a half wins, I think is what it was, which is the lowest in the entire NBA. Uh, I think you've given every reason why or why not they would hit that number. So just very quickly, uh, are you taking the over or the under on that? I'd probably take the under on that one because there's just so many variables that are working against the Cavs in this situation that um, it's just hard to say that um, they're going to be better than a 25. They win 25, 26 games. Hats off, you did seven games better than last year. But I'm also just a little more cautious about this team. Now, granted, Charlotte's going to be pretty bad this year. Um, New York, I think, is going to be better, but they're going to be jockeying with Cleveland for that the, the bottom three of the NBA. It's going to be between those three teams. But I think the Cavs are a peg above the Hornets, but they're still dead in the water right now when it comes to uh, – making serious strides in the win column for sure uh so before i let you go last question here uh just hit me with three predictions uh for the team this year uh whether it be team related individual related whether it be um you know most improved player rookie of the year uh certain you know team goal just give me three uh predictions for the cleveland cavaliers in the 2019-20 season I think Jordan Clarkson can get a first-round pick from a team that's desperate enough. He, after a pretty bad playoff run in LeBron's last rodeo in Cleveland, um, I think he bounced back pretty nicely last year. He had a career high against Brooklyn. Um, I'm going to look up that real quick. He scored 42 points against Brooklyn, which is a career high for him, and it was off the bench. And he's consistently been one of the bench. He was consistently one of the best bench scorers in the NBA last season. And I think he's kind of a player that a team that might be feel like they're complete, but they might just want to punch off the bench, goes ahead and trades for him. He's only a couple years older than the rest of our young foundation, actually. He's 27 now that I'm saying it out loud. Um, so he's not like it's not like he's super old and he's on an expiring deal. So if it doesn't work out, no skin off your back. And if it does work out, great. Um, I see Darius Garland being a serious option for Rookie of the Year this year. Um, he's a bit of a mystery box coming out of college since he only played a handful of games for Vanderbilt before he went down with a meniscal tear. Um, obviously, John Morant ended up being the best point guard in this year's draft class just because of how sensational he was. But I've read and heard from a few different scouts and people who are much more invested in the NBA draft than I am um, that if Garland was able to play the entire season, he would have been giving Morant a run for his money for the best point guard in this year's draft class. So I wouldn't even bat an eye if he ended up winning rookie of the year. And um, back on the trade front, I think Tristan Thompson will be the first Cavalier traded, and I think it'll be with the Los Angeles Clippers. And on paper, a trade that works is um, Zubac and um, Mo Harkless, and then maybe like a second-round pick just for the Cavs taking on Zubac's uh, long-term deal. Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense at first because Harkless is figured to be um, a serious part of 
the Clippers rotation next year. Um, but I think the center position is going to become an area of concern for the Clippers, especially because they have Zubac plugged in as their center right now, and I think there's a pretty big difference in talent between Thompson and what Zubac brings to the table that um, I think the Clippers would pull the trade on it. Plus, he's an expiring deal, so it lets Los Angeles offload some salaries just so they can um, – put themselves in a position to be a player again in free agency. Even though the free agency class isn't that great, you can still round out a championship roster with plenty of extra money. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And uh, not to mention, you know, Thompson has that playoff and championship experience. So that may be something um, that the Clippers value short term considering, you know, they're trying to win now. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but that's that's all we've got for you today, Evan. I do appreciate you coming on. Uh, for you guys that want to follow him on Twitter, his Twitter handle is at amnotevan. Again, he's a contributor covering the Cavs for both Forbes as well as Fear the Sword. Uh, so appreciate you coming on, Evan, and we'll look forward to having you on again uh, maybe later this season. All right. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Evan for coming on. Again, you guys can follow him, as Nick said, at amnotevan. For all of your Cavs coverage, now let's jump over to the Charlotte Hornets where Taylor and I sat down with Richie Randall of the BuzzBeat podcast to talk about what the Hornets are looking for next season. And we are back. You guys are joined by Taylor and another one of our co-hosts, Jacob. Jacob, how's it going? What's up? I'm good. I'm good. And we are also now joined by fellow Blue Wire podcast family member, Richie Randall of the BuzzBeat Podcast, who covers the Charlotte Hornets. Richie, how's it going? I'm doing good, man. Gearing up for school. I was just having a conversation with you guys. Uh, I'm a teacher, uh, so we're getting back into the swing of things. Uh, the school has started by the time that you're listening to this, uh, but I'm doing good. Thank you. Good. I'm glad. Yeah, you're, you guys are definitely starting to gear up here, and it's getting into to busy season for you, for sure. So we appreciate you coming on. You can find Richie on Twitter, at Richie Randall. That's R-I-C-H-I-E, Randall. And you can find him and his co-host podcast at BuzzBeat Pod. But hopefully, if you guys listen to ours and heard about Blue Wire, you guys have already checked them out. <laughs> so you can also listen to them on the Blue Wire Podcast Network and BlueWirePods.com. They do some great work and are a must-follow for all NBA fans. I've listened to their stuff. They have some really cool guests on throughout the season. So give them give them a, a follow and give them a couple of listens. So, Richie, I think we're just going to go ahead and dive into this. I have a summary to kind of start things off. And then we're gonna, we have some questions to ask you uh, concerning this, this upcoming season. Sounds good. So last season, you guys finished the season, the Charlotte Hornets, at 39-43, and 43, which was good for ninth place in the Eastern Conference. The unfortunate part about that is you guys were just two games out of the eighth seed, if I did my math correct. Um, so obviously it was a good season, but probably not quite as good as you guys were hoping for. And then the summer happens, and things just kind of completely changed. <laughs> um, unfortunately, Michael Jordan was unable to re-sign Kimball Walker. And as many have kind of called it, they, they're saying that Michael Jordan maybe quote-unquote lowballed him um, and has offered <laughs> in off him, offer him the Supermax. Uh, then they ended up trading Kimba in a sign-and-trade with Boston for Terry Rozier, which was a, a big addition for you guys, especially losing Kimba. But So you guys lost Frank Kaminsky. I believe he went to the Phoenix Suns, Jeremy Lamb to the Pacers, Shelvin Mack, and then Tony Parker retired. But you guys also added Terry Rozier and Thomas Welch were really the two uh, quote-unquote free agents there, if you include that sign-and-trade. And then you guys also had a, a pretty decent draft, drafting P.J. Washington and Cody Martin. So there aren't really any injuries. Uh, you guys seem rel- relatively healthy heading into the season. I'm going to knock on wood for you there. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Uh, no changes from last season in terms of coaching or front office. 
Uh, and then per Spotrack, the Hornets look to be about $34 million over the cap, and that is due to Terry Rozier's new deal. Uh, Nicholas Batum, Bismack Biombo, and Marvin Williams all still on the books for this upcoming season. And then finally, Westgate has you guys uh, at 23 wins for next season for the over-under, and that's compared to 39 last season, so quite a significant drop-off. So I guess let's just go ahead and dive into it, and let's let's get your thoughts, Richie, on the trades, the sign-in trade, essentially, the free agency signings, and the draft that your team had this summer. Yeah, I think we have to all start with Kimball Walker. You know, losing losing him to the Boston Celtics is never a good thing. Uh, it's clearly a big blow to this franchise. Uh, and my co-host and I have had this discussion before about Kimball Walker. Uh, we saw the writing on the wall two years ago. You go back and listen to our podcast. We suggested trading Kimball Walker uh, two seasons ago, probably around November or December of 2017. Um, clearly, that did not happen. They had two seasons to kind of you know, shop around, get Kimball Walker traded. And because we didn't do that, he basically left for nothing. I know that Mitch Kupchak can say, hey, we, we traded him for Terry Rozier. Uh, but really, they were just trying to do that to save face. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of Terry Rozier, but, you know, I'm still kind of holding out hope for him that he can produce. Uh, he has done better uh, in a starting role with Boston. So maybe coming into Charlotte, uh, rejuvenated in a starting position, he can produce at a little bit of a higher level than he did off the bench for Boston. Um, he definitely has some strengths and some weaknesses there, but the worry of mine with Terry Rozier, he has never shot the ball over 40% in his career. And, uh, you know, staying focused on the defensive end is also an issue of his. So I'm not the biggest fan of his. Definitely we overpaid for him, uh, but I get why we made the trade to kind of replace Kemba you're never going to replace a franchise player, probably the best player in franchise history, but it's something better than they probably could have got out on the market. Uh, and the draft picks, like you mentioned, I think uh, for the past couple seasons, I think people have been high on Mitch Kupchak's ability to draft. Uh, I don't think P.J. Washington is a sexy pick by any means. Uh, he's pretty boring, but that's not a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing by any means. And uh, he did not play in summer league, guys, but I think there's a lot of things that you can um, – look at during his college career that hopefully translates over on the court. Uh, just looking at some of his three-point shooting, uh, his freshman year in Kentucky, he shot 24%. His sophomore year, he shot 42%. And Ooh. he did that on more, I know, he did that on more attempts as well. So overall, like if you look at this offseason, I, I mean, it's pretty bad losing Kimball Walker. Uh, but, you know, in a vacuum, it is bad. But with the situation that they had, uh, they, they did all right. But they should have planned better with Kimball Walker. If they were going to offer him anything competitive, which they didn't, they lowballed him, like you said. Um, you just know that you were going to lose Kimball for nothing. So speaking on that, on the topic of Kimball Walker, I found it interesting, like you just said, if, if they weren't planning on throwing that Supermax at him to keep him in Charlotte, why there was never a trade, on, at, at least the trade deadline this past year, try to move him to get something, uh, is that something that's talked about a lot amongst Charlotte fans and, and kind of debated about the front offices. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know, almost mishandling of that entire situation. <laughs> yeah, it, it's definitely talked about a lot. I think, you know, the Supermax, which he could have received was five years, $221 million. I would I was not expecting wow. that, nor should he have received that much money. But they didn't even offer him his regular max. So, like, if he never made the NBA uh, third team, all third team, his regular max would have been five years, 190. 
the reported deal was like a little bit shy of 160 for five years. He actually got more money per year in Boston than he would have gotten in Charlotte. So, th- yeah, this this offering from Michael Jordan and from Mitch Kupchak definitely was a low-ball offer. Uh, I think a lot of people speculated that we didn't trade him this season because the All-Star game was in Charlotte, and to trade your franchise player during that season, I guess, would be a bad look. But also, you know, losing him for nothing is also a bad look. That's why we suggested Fair. it. Yeah, right. That's why we suggested it two years ago. Right, uh, yeah. No, so. That's a very interesting take. I Honestly, I hadn't even really thought of that. You know, I kind of took it to mean, like, Michael. it was almost Michael Jordan's way of politely saying, oh, we're ready to move on. We want to get some of these bad contracts off the books and uh, eventually rebuild. But like you said, why not, you know, do that mm-hmm. six months ago or mm-hmm. even longer? So that leads me to my next question. Without Kimba now, Touching your team depth a little bit. How do you feel about uh, depth-wise with, with this team, and, and what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I I think we have a lot of wings. I think that there's depth in certain places. I think the wing position, uh, there's going to be a lot of interchangeable parts. I worry a little bit about the point guard depth and the center depth. Uh, at center position, Cody Zeller uh, just doesn't stay healthy. Like, last two seasons, he's played 49 games and 33 games, respectively. Like, we just hope he gets to, like, 60 or 65 because he really is a good player, and him and Kemba worked well together. Uh, but behind him, you have Billy Hernan Gomez, who probably or could be one of the worst defensive centers in the league, or at least <sighs> by some of the metrics that you look at. So the center position is not the greatest. Uh, Biombo is pretty much a non-factor. He's just $17 million sitting on the books right now. We're waiting for him to come off. Uh, and then the point guard position, behind Rogier, we have uh, Devontae Graham, who did well. Um, in his rookie season, but he's kind of shown some inability to shoot the ball. But I think at the wing position with Bacon and Batum and, and Bridges and, and Marvin out on the four, very switchable players. I think that's where we're strongest is the two, three, four positions. All right, so speaking of, of guys currently on roster, Taylor touched on a little bit earlier, but Bismack Biombo, Marvin Williams, um, Michael Nick- Kidd Gilchrist, those are three guys that are going into contract years in the last year of their deal. Those three guys make a combined $45 million. Uh, moving forward, just what is your feel for this team as far as like they don't have their, their all-NBA guy in Kemba anymore. Uh, they're kind of not in a rebuild yet because they have all these vets making big contracts. Does it almost in a way feel like this season is almost just like a, a punted away season? Let those big contracts come off the books and and then kind of reset with the clean cap sheet and, and start young with some of these young guys that you guys have and then continue to build through the draft? I think that's exactly what the, the direction of this is team has to be. I think a lot of the players that are going to see the least amount of minutes are the ones that are getting paid the most, especially like someone like a Biombo or a Kid Gilchrist. I feel like he's kind of lost a role with this team. I'm actually higher on MKG than most, but uh, it just seems like with Miles Bridges coming in and P.J. Washington coming in, it seems like he's kind of gone by the wayside. Marvin Williams is still a productive veteran. I think he is someone that I can see traded uh, by the deadline. I think he could offer some kind of veteran help, three-point shooting, but like you said, he, he's getting paid $15 million, and it doesn't really fit with the direction of this team. I think Charlotte has to go all in on the rebuild. It does kind of feel like a lost year where there's a lot of people like adding up on the books. Uh, but, you know, next season, a lot of those do come off their expirings, and then you can kind of start anew uh, in 2020. 
That's funny because Richie and I, Jake, were actually uh, talking yesterday in our, our Twitter DM, and that's one thing I kind of mentioned to him. I was trying to throw some optimism in there, and I said, you know what? Once these contracts get off the books, you know, they, they really are in like a prime, a, a prime condition to, to start a rebuild, and I think that's hopefully what, what MJ is looking at here. Yeah, speaking of that, though, like those contracts come off the books and things are looking good. And then you got a Nick Batum $27 million oh. player option for the following season. Goodness. It's like, God dang, man. It just doesn't let up. Can't escape it. Yeah. No, he's definitely one that has not lived up to his contract by any means. Ever since he signed that, uh, at, I think it was the summer of 2016. Oh, the uh, dreaded summer yes. of 2016. Well, we, we, we have three of those on our roster. Biombo and Williams both signed contracts in that, in that summer. Um, it was just unfortunate. We talk about it all the time. Like, I... I don't blame them for offering him that contract, but right. Batum clearly has dipped every single season past that. But yeah, I mean, I, you're gonna have to have somebody eat up some money on you know on your books. So like, once when the others come off, like his contract seems a little bit more, I guess, palatable. You know what I mean? Makes We're sense. Very, very well aware of that here in o- Oklahoma City uh, after trading Russell, Russell Westbrook and taking on Chris Paul in return. So <laughs> there you go. Um, but obviously, we're, we're excited about CP3 and his production. So I want your projections for this team, uh, Richie, for this coming season. Um, anything you're excited about? Do you think they'll be improved, maybe worse off than last season? Maybe you have a hot take and think they're, they're playoff bounds. Like, uh, what, are, what are your thoughts heading into this, this coming season for the, for the Hornets? I mean, I think they're clearly going to be worse off than uh, what they finished last season. Uh, I think Vegas has them as the lowest win total of all the NBA teams. And I, I, I do think that's going to be the case. They're going to be in that range of the 25 wins or so. They are clearly in rebuilding mode. Um, I'm not really big on hot takes, but if I guess if I had to have a hot take <laughs> by with anyone on this roster, uh, this is definitely a player that's uh, definitely polarizing among the, the Charlotte Hornets fan base. Uh, Malik Monk, like I think he has kind of been forgotten on this roster. He's played very inconsistent minutes his first two seasons. Um, my hot take for him, I know this is probably not the hottest of hot takes. He scores maybe 13, 14, 15 uh, points per game and shoots 38% or, or higher from deep. So that, that's that's my hot take. I don't have any hot takes in terms of this this team. I think, yeah, I think those are fair. I, I really do. I think that's a, yeah. a fair point. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, this is a make or break year for Malik Monk. And if he, if he can't prove it playing more consistent minutes, he has no one to blame but himself because of the previous two seasons – I did feel a little bit bad for him because he did have inconsistent minutes, and it's hard to get in a groove, uh, especially a player like him who is uh, very uh, streaky. So I have three more questions for you here before we head out of here, and and you can get back to prepping for school and and all that fun stuff. (laughs) Oh, I know that grind, bro. Yeah, I was going to say, Jacob's very well aware of that. Um, So you mentioned kind of your expectations for this upcoming season, Richie, but what do you think would be considered a successful season for the Charlotte Hornets? Golly, this, this kind of sounds bad, guys, but just to be competitive and get better as the season progresses, especially the young players. I think it's the the success of this team is not going to be judged by like the wins and losses, but it's going to be more judged by the individual improvements on this team from the young players. Someone from like a, a Malik Monk or a Dwayne Bacon, who definitely impressed last year, shooting the ball from deep and getting to the rim. Miles Bridges, I think, is going to be the breakout player of this year. Uh, for this team. So I, I think the way that you judge success on this team is clearly not going to be by the 25, 26 wins that they they produce. It's going to be by the individual players, uh, especially the young players on this roster. 
I don't know. I think that's a great point. And honestly, I think that's a position that a lot of teams find themselves in. Um, for the Thunder, even, you know, we're very focused right now on guys like Shea Gildas Alexander and some of our young guys like that. You know, that's our main focus as well as player development. So I don't think that's wrong at all. So you already kind of touched on this a little bit. And so I won't ask you again. I believe you said you would take the under when it comes to the over under. Uh, Man, I mean, I, I don't know. Like 23 wins, like, seems like that's kind of where I would put them. Um, yeah. And I. You know what? You know what? I'm going to go over. I'm going to go over okay. just slightly. I'll, I'll say 24. 24 I like that. But you know what? You know what's <laughs> so interesting, though, is that, like you said, Vegas has them uh, last place in the entire NBA, but 23 wins for the last team? Like, no yeah. team in the teens? That's, that's a lot yeah. of wins. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems so, like to me. So, what if we throw you an over-under on the – well, I guess it wouldn't be an over-under, just an over or stay at the, the last seed in the East, the, the 15th seed in the East – um, do you think Charlotte ends up there, or do you think somebody dips below them? It's a good question. I, I, I think I would say yes. I would lean towards yes, that they would be the last place in the East. The only other team that would be in contention there would be the Cavaliers. But uh, I don't know. I, I just think Charlotte is going to struggle early on um, and kind of find their footing with this team. And that's fine. Like I said, I don't care about the wins and losses. But, yeah, I, I would say last place in the East. Okay. So before we let you go, hit me with three predictions for your team this year. And they can be team-related or individual-related. So, for example, um, like most improved player, um, if you know some teams I could ask, uh, do you think someone would win the MVP? Something along those lines, either t- team or individual-related. I like how, how easy you try to let them down there. Some teams we could ask if they have an MVP on the <laughs> roster, you know. but uh, Hey, you never know. Maybe like scary most Terry. improved. Or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, okay, three, three predictions for this year. Okay, I'll say Miles Bridges, I mentioned this prior is going to be the breakout player of this team. I think he's going to score somewhere close to 18 points per game, grab six to seven rebounds, and shoot the ball 37-plus percent from three. I think Ooh, those types that's of numbers— big, yeah. I it like is that. big. It's, I like that's that. That's a little bit of a hot take. But those types of numbers would be a big improvement from last year. I think he showed you know flashes last season, uh, but he's in much better shape this season. And I think he's just determined to kind of prove people— not necessarily wrong, but that, that this team could be more competitive than a lot of people are believing that they are going to be. Number two, um, again, like I said earlier, I don't think Tier Rozier is the best player. I don't think he's considered a good point guard by any means, but I think he finally gets over the hump, guys, and shoots over 40% from the field. Uh, he'll definitely be streaky this year, but I think he'll surprise some people. Um, and you know, being in that starter role, he's going to produce a little bit better. And then number three, uh, not really necessarily a prediction, uh, I guess a good prediction, but Marvin Williams will be traded at some point this season, and he will no longer be a Charlotte Horner, Hornet by the trade deadline. I don't think any of those are unrealistic, to be honest. I mean, I, I honestly, I really like all three of those takes. Also, for Wes Ward, Jacob, I did the same exact thing with the, the Knicks uh, <laughs> podcast that we did here last week. So <laughs> Subtly um, telling them they don't have an MVP, MVP. candidate? Yeah, yeah. But I don't know, bro. Have you seen Julius Randle yeah, play basketball? That's right. Nick Batum's going to have a, a, what, I guess not a breakout year, a, <laughs> a rebirth of, su- of sorts. So <laughs> that, that dude could, like, not, I shouldn't say easily, like, he could get close to, like, averaging a triple double if he actually just tried. You watch this guy play, he's so late. Like, lazy might not be the right word, passive. He's just so passive. He just doesn't want any involvement in, in the game. And yeah, it's, just, it's kind of frustrating that he hasn't really ever gotten back to, like, Portland Batum, you yes, know? Right, right. Which right. Portland Batum was a problem for a lot of people, just and that kind of versatility and that size. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's why MJ signed him to that contract, like you said, Richie, particularly exactly. during that summer. You know, they wanted to make sure that they held on to him, and he did what he had to do. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think that's all we have. Richie, do you have anything else that uh, you want to cover? 
<laughs> no, I think we're good. We covered, all right. We covered all the bases here. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. Uh, just one more time for our, all of our listeners, as well as the Charlotte Hornets listeners, fans that are hopefully tuning in as well. You can find Richie on Twitter at Richie Randall. That's Richie with R-I-C-H-I-E. And you can find him and his co-host at the BuzzBeat Podcast. Buzzbeat Pod on Twitter is the Buzzbeat Podcast. You can find them on Blue Wire uh, Podcast Network and BlueWire.com. So thank you again, Richie, and we hopefully will talk to you later on this season. All right, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks again to Richie for coming on with us. Again, you guys can find him on Twitter at Richie Randall. Now I want to tell you for just a few minutes about my bookie. So NFL season, college football season, just about to start. I mean, heck, just this weekend, Andrew Luck retires from the NFL, kind of blows everybody's mind. It's crazy. The one thing that hasn't changed, though, is where I'm putting my money down on all the games. My bookie is the place to bet on football every weekend. Our Blue Wire podcasters are using mybookie.com slash bluewire to sign up this year. My bookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sports book, period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win $100,000. That's like three times my salary. And it only costs $100 to enter. All you got to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. My bookie has live in-game betting on every NFL game. They've got most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE when creating your account to get your bonus. MyBookie.com. Bet, win, get paid. Now let's jump into my conversation with David Ramil about the Miami Heat, Oklahoma City's favorite, Dion Waiters, and what the Heat are looking forward to this coming season with Jimmy Butler and their hopeful climb to the top of the East. All right, now we're back. Uh, we are joined by David Ramil. He is a columnist for the Step Back, contributor to Forbes Sports, host of the Locked On Heat podcast. David, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing really well. How are you? Awesome, awesome. I am I am good. It's almost the weekend, so... Uh, you know, we're, we're trucking along, getting by. Yes, we are. Uh, all right, so you guys can follow David. He is at DRamil13. That's D-R-A-M-I-L-13. Uh, and he, you can follow him and his podcast and his co-hosts at Locked On Heat. They do some great work over there. And the Heat are going to be interesting this season. So make sure you give him a follow. Follow their podcast. Subscribe uh, so you can keep up with Miami Heat basketball, especially if, if you're one of our Thunder fans that are listening to this podcast. I'm sure they talked some Dion Waiters, and you gotta gotta log on and, and listen to some Dion Waiters talk. So, uh, David, before we even get started, just I think Oklahoma City has like this a weird obsession, like this weird love for Dion. Uh, do you guys share that with us down there in Miami? Yes, our, our hosts certainly do. Uh, both me and Wes Goldberg are big fans of Dion Waiters. I think Heat fans are. A little mixed as far as appreciating Dion. They haven't really gravitated towards him. He had a big first season, obviously, uh, a couple years ago when they went 41 and 41. But then the injury has kind of slowed ha- that kind of progression uh, and obsession with him. And of course, him coming back last season, a little heavy didn't help. And, and so he's not been the player that we expected him to be. So I, I think 
that's a, a reason why they haven't appreciated or embraced him as much as they should. But I, I love his irrational confidence. I love his game overall. And he's just a unique personality. Yeah. And, and, and so, I mean, I, I, I've been... I used to cover the basket uh, for the I'm sorry. I used to cover the Thunder as well for fan uh Oklahoma site, uh, Thunder's Intentions. So I, I'm that was one my my obsession with Dion first developed. To be honest, yes, with you. good old downhill <laughs> Dion. I will never like get over his constant and one shouts. Uh, oh, great stuff. They, they they've slowed down a little bit in Miami. He doesn't yell them as much. Well, uh, maybe this season. I know he slimmed down a little bit this summer. So hopefully he'll get back to it and. Uh, and we can get good old classic Dion back. So let's hop into the Heat real quick. They ended the 2018-19 season 39-43. and They had them tied with the Hornets for the ninth, ninth place in the Eastern Conference, two games out of the eighth seed, uh, just barely missing the playoffs. And then the summer hits, and it's a an interesting summer for the Heat. They were pretty active, so biggest move, obviously, is the sign-and-trade to snag Jimmy Butler from the Sixers. Uh, ended up being a really convoluted uh, trade that was kind of just a whole bunch of like different transactions jumbled into one. Uh, the Sixers, or sorry, Jimmy Butler comes to Miami from the Sixers. The Heat also get Myers Leonard from Portland. They got cash from the Clippers, and they had sent out uh, a total combination of Hassan Whiteside, Josh Richardson, and a first-round pick, which that first-round pick then... I believe made its way to Oklahoma City in the in the Paul George trade, so it's kind of a interesting full circle there. Uh, so, so the two big additions via free agency: Jimmy Butler, Myers Leonard. Uh, they kept Udonis Haslam around, uh, presumably his his final season, and then made some moves in the draft, picking up Tyler Hero and the draft rights to Casey Okpala, and then a couple of Exhibit Ten deals as well. Uh, Josh Richardson has left. He is now up in Philadelphia. And the wave and stretch, I believe, of Ryan Anderson. I believe they stretched that deal. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. Okay, awesome. Um, No really injury questions heading into the season. Like we just mentioned, Dion seems to be healthy and slimming down and ready to go. Uh, The only one is Kelly Olenek dropped out from Team Canada for the FIBA World Cup due to a knee injury. I don't think that's that's a big concern. For, for the start of the season, though. Is that correct? He's expect, yeah, he's expected to be back in time for the start of the year. So hopefully he should be you know, projected to start as well. So I think that's some concern. We'll see how that plays out. Okay, for sure. Um, no coaching changes, salary situation. So since the Heat acquired Jimmy Butler in a sign-and-trade, they're hard-capped. And correct me if I'm wrong, but they are right at that, that cap line, right? They're right at the hard-cap line. That is correct, yeah. Uh-huh. So so really, there's there's not a lot of wiggle room. Any additions to this roster are going to have to come via trade where probably the Heat actually cut a little bit of salary because I don't think they have the ability to to make any trades that are even just a couple hundred thousand dollars uh, going the other way. And for this coming season, Westgate has the over-under set at 43-and-a-half wins for the Heat. Uh, so let's just jump right in. Let's start with the biggest thing, the acquisition of Jimmy Butler. You know, there, there's been reports that the Heat really tried to get Jimmy Butler from Minnesota back in, what was that, December, whenever Minnesota traded him away. He finally makes his way to the Heat. Um, so just kind of start off with your thoughts on that, adding Jimmy Butler, who is obviously a great player, great two-way player. 
maybe has some locker room questions, has some uh, some authority questions, but just your thought on adding him and how you think he fits on the roster. Uh, I think they actually wanted him even further back uh, in October of – it may have been September, actually, of the previous season, right around when he had that uh, notorious practice session back when he was with the Wolves because I remember covering – media day in September of last year and there was this shadow of the Jimmy Butler trade when it was presumed that Miami was in the lead to acquire his services and of course it didn't quite work out that way and uh, you know Pat Riley and, and Tom Thibodeau never could negotiate a, a finalized deal there but uh, they've been I think mutually interested in one another for a couple of seasons now obviously the groundwork for that was laid back in 2016 when Dwayne played for the Chicago Bulls alongside Jimmy and kind of talking to him right away about how his mindset, his approach to the game fit perfectly alongside heat culture. Uh, and we just completed on the podcast last week, our quote unquote, Jimmy Butler week, where we talked to a number of reporters who covered Jimmy during his stint in Minnesota, Chicago, even in Philadelphia, and just getting a little sense of, of you know, the kind of person and player he is. And obviously, as you hinted, some locker room issues, but he's a tireless worker, obsessive. Um, Michael Pina of Vice Sports actually mentioned, uh, a, included a quote in his piece about Jimmy from his trainer calling him a serial killer's dream because he is so obsessive and maniacal. And, and you know, he follows everything to this incredible level of detail and he's obsessive about it. And so that kind of does align with Miami's culture. Obviously, Miami takes pride in outworking everybody. They get guys into great shape, Dion included. Although last season, that doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah. But for the most part, they are very dedicated to outworking everybody. And, and you know, they take pride in that kind of level of dedication. Uh, there are questions about his locker room presence. Uh, you know, obviously, he can be a little temperamental. Uh, the way that we kind of form that picture after, you know, talking with all these reporters that had gotten to know Jimmy over the years is that he is single-minded in his pursuit of winning and being the best because he is self-driven, because he is so motivated, having been a low draft pick, having to work his way into being this you know role player in Chicago alongside an MVP candidate in Derrick Rose and, and Joaquim Noah and Luol Deng and all these other star level players. And somehow he wound up becoming the team's best player over time because he just pushed himself over and over and over again. And so he expects that kind of dedication from everybody. So that could obviously rub people the wrong way. And when he sees a player that's talented and doesn't maximize that talent, ergo Minnesota, there can be issues. So I think in Miami, that won't be the case. I think, you know, obviously they don't have any kind of top picks. They don't have any prima donna type personalities, maybe with the exception of Dion, to be honest with you. And Dion is, <laughs> no, seriously, I mean, Dion, yeah. I, you know, he's overconfident, but I don't think he's still a prima donna. He expects to, you know, to be recognized as one of the greats. Uh, that's obviously a little overconfident on his part, but I, you know, I think he does work hard. And, and I did happen to talk to his trainer recently over the summer, and you know, Dion's in great shape. He's fully healthy, and he's ready to contribute at a high level. So the expectations are pretty high for Dion. Uh, and, and I think Jimmy is going to be able to go in there, kind of run roughshod, and and become the team's de facto leader, which was a, a glaring hole last season. You know, obviously they tried to do that with Edmund, Oklahoma's own. Uh, Josh Richardson, and it didn't quite work out. Uh, he wasn't ready for the role. He wasn't ready for that increased responsibility. Uh, too often, it fell upon Dwayne Wade to carry the team. And, and, you know, at 37 years old, as much as Wade is a great and was a great player, he wasn't quite capable of doing it all the time. 
And, and so that's why they made the aggressive move to acquire Jimmy. So I think he fits really well into heat culture. He's going to be the team's leader. He's going to, you know, aggressively push everybody to a point and, and we'll see how it plays out. I'm optimistic. I think most heat fans are, I think most heat reporters are. Uh, so they believe that it's going to be a pretty good team that over under, as far as the win total seems about right, but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. So as far as Jimmy's fit, I think it's a good one. And you mentioned Udonis Haslam coming back. I think that's an important step. And I actually managed to talk to Dwayne a couple weeks ago about that and ask him about UD's presence on this roster. And obviously Haslam has the respect of a lot of guys on uh, around the league and he's going to help Jimmy kind of massage, uh, you know, his own personality and make sure that he can kind of get the most out of everybody without rubbing people the wrong way. Nice. Nice. So add Jimmy Butler and then I think the other, to me, the the other big storyline, the other interesting facet of the Heat going into the season are some of the young guys. Um, Tyler Hero kind of became this, uh, almost this like NBA Twitter darling over the summer, uh, just with, with the his ability to shoot, uh, how he performed in summer league. And then also with the, with the exit of Hassan Whiteside, it kind of seems like it's going to open up more opportunities for up-and-coming big man Bam Adebayo. Can you just touch on those two guys a little bit and their, your thoughts on them going into next season? Obviously, uh, Bam already an NBA player, and then and then Tyler coming in as a rookie. I mean, Tyler fits a need. Obviously, Miami gave up some of their, their best shooters, and, and or one of their best shooters specifically in Josh Richardson. Uh, they lost Wayne Ellington, or they traded him away uh, midway through the year, too. So, you know, there there is... There have been some holes regarding Miami shooting, and Hero fits that pretty well. I don't think he's necessarily going to play as much. It's still kind of up in the air as far as the the roster rotation and how Eric Spolstra plays who and when. Uh, A lot of people kind of expected Tyler to get significant minutes, but the more we see... The, the you know players that are left on this roster, including Goran Dragic and, and, and Dion Waiters and others, I'm not sure that Hero's going to get as much playing time. So I, I like the addition. I think he's um, going to be a good fit there. I think he's obviously very dedicated, a hard worker. And again, those things kind of align very well with Heat culture. And so there are pretty high expectations uh, from him. I just don't know that they're going to pan out anytime soon. It won't be this season, probably. It'll probably be next year, maybe even beyond that. And we'll, we'll see how that career continues to develop. As for Bam, uh, yeah, obviously, I think a lot of people view him as the most talented player on the roster. I think even above Justice Winslow, people see more upside out of Adebayo. And with the logjam of Hassan Whiteside out of the way, He's probably he's going to start, and he's probably going to play a significant amount of minutes. I'm just not sure exactly how he'll take that next step. He, he is very talented. He can bring the ball up. He's got a nice smooth dribble. Uh, he's a very good rebounder, very versatile defender. We've seen him guard Steph Curry effectively. We've seen him guard Biggs. He's very athletic and explosive. The problem with him, more often than not, is actually just a confidence and aggressiveness. He, he sees himself more as a role player. And he's still so young that I just don't know that he's ready to take that leap automatically. The expectations are there. And I think, you know, we saw him being invited to USA Basketball. So that kind of seemed like validation of everything that Heat fans have seen. But at the same time, then he was cut and his his one performance wasn't very good. He You know, he was kind of typically passive. He just wasn't very aggressive and looking for a shot. And so, I, I, again, I think a lot of those things that we've seen over his first two seasons 
might still be there and he just kind of slowly has to recognize that he is a great player and he is capable of making an impact and we'll see if he's able to make that leap this season so i'm optimistic that he'll be a bigger a bigger contributor i'm just not sure if we're going to see star level out of bio anytime soon very good so you mentioned you know tyler hero might get kind of buried there with the with the guards um, we touched on Adebayo, but there's also like a handful of front court players. You can play Justice Winslow at the three or the four, uh, Derek Jones, James Johnson, still around, um, uh, Kelly Olenek. So do you see, especially with the, the issue of this team being hard capped this season, do you see this roster kind of just playing out the year or do you think Miami is still going to be aggressive in trying to make moves, uh, or, or is this kind of a, a year where they're just going to see what they got and then wait till next summer? And, and I know some of those contracts come off the book next, books next summer as well. Well, I, I think, you know, for, first of all, Justice uh, is probably slated to play the point guard position. That was the role in which he thrived last year. I know for people outside of Miami's fan base, they kind of have it. It's it's difficult for them to wrap their minds around it, but that's where he was most effective. He, he brings the ball up. He sets the offense. He works at his own pace. And that's where he thrives, and that's where he's most comfortable, having the ball in his hands. And and so I think even alongside Jimmy Butler, who can bring the ball up and initiate offense on his own, I think Justice is still going to be our starting quote-unquote point guard, even though Eric Spolstra and Pat Riley both are reluctant to use uh, that term uh, to define Winslow's role. Uh, as far as their aggressiveness over the course of the season, they're always looking to upgrade. Uh, I think the promise to Jimmy Butler when they were able to lure him to Miami was that, look, be patient. We're going to acquire a superstar at some point just because that's who we are. And whether it's Chris Paul, whether it's Bradley Beal, they're going to be interested in players whenever they become available. They are always looking to add stars, just as they were in their pursuit of Russell Westbrook, which I thought was a done deal, to be honest with you. It, it seemed like it was a given that they were going to acquire Westbrook, and I think a lot of people in South Florida did. Uh, even those that were plugged into the team, and then it just kind of fell apart, obviously. But the feeling was that they were always going to try to make a, a big push for Westbrook because he is a star-level player and a former MVP. And I think that's the kind of you know player that they're looking for. They, they want to acquire stars as much as possible because that's how they feel this team is, is going to compete for a title, and that's always the goal in Miami. Very good. So, David, before we let you go here, I have two more questions. Uh, first one, back to those over-unders. The, the Heat... Westgate has them at 43 and a half wins this coming season, which would put them sixth in the East, get them back into the playoffs with, with uh, Jimmy Butler on the roster now. So are you taking both the wins and sixth in the East? Uh, you want the over or the under on each of those? I'll take the over on both. Oh, nice. Okay. How, how high, I mean, do you think we're talking like compete for home court? In the playoffs? Yes, actually, that that oh, would be nice. one of that would be one of my my bold prediction predictions for next season is that I think they're closer to a top four seed than they are to just making the playoffs. I know some people kind of view them as even potentially missing out on the playoffs. I, I just seeing this roster last year, which is pretty much impact, intact, uh, and, and now having a star player and without the distraction of Dwayne Wade's retirement tour, I think they're going to be engaged and ready to move on and, and progress and take it to that next level. So I actually do see this as a top four team in the East. Okay, nice. Well, so my next question was three predictions for the Heat this coming season. Uh, they can be team-wide. They can be individual-related if you think someone's like going to win an, an award, uh, an individual accolade. Uh, so I guess maybe one of your three is they get home court, right? 
Yes, uh, I, I like I said, and maybe it's a, a slight hedge there, but I think they're closer to a top four seed than they are to just make in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, I, I think they can be the fourth best team. You know, you see Milwaukee and Philadelphia as clear favorites, but every other team has questions, even Toronto. And, you know, they've got to make up for the loss of Kawhi Leonard, Indiana without Victor Oladipo, et cetera. There, there are some issues with the rest of the teams that are competing around there. Boston without Kyrie Irving, although they did acquire you know, Kemba Walker, how do they you know, make up for the loss of Al Horford? So, yeah, that's, that's always the big one to me with, with Boston, you know, they're, they're center depth, not the depth necessarily, but the defensive depth of their, their center position, especially in the Eastern conferences is a little worrisome playing. I mean, trust me from, from somebody who covers the Oklahoma city thunder (laughs) playing Ennis Cantor 30 plus minutes a night is basically just hemorrhaging points. Yeah, I never, I never quite understood that because he, he's so fleet of foot on offense. I mean, he's got the incredible footwork down low, and then defensively, he's like a statue out there. It's, it's yeah, fr- yeah. Defensively, incredible. it's like he's playing in sand with bricks tied to his feet. <laughs> so okay, so so home possible home court for one prediction. What are your other two? Uh, I think Dion Waiters will be the team's second best player. I'm sure that'll make a lot of Thunder fans happy. Yes, I, I, I love I, it. I have high hopes for Dion. I think he's going to be able to get a lot of opportunities off ball. He was an underrated three-point shooter last season. Even with Jimmy driving the ball as much as we expect him to, I think he's going to find a wide-open Dion to kick it out to. And I think Dion is still capable of driving to the rim at a high level. He was probably still Miami's best option to drive and attack the rim. Uh, and he still has some explosiveness, even with the weight, even with the ankle injury still lingering. I think he can still be a really solid player. So maybe I'm just being irrationally confident, just like Dion, but I have high hopes. I like it. Um, all right, and and then so Dion, second best player, and then third prediction. Jimmy Butler will get MVP votes next season. I think he's primed for a huge season, just because again that lack of leadership. All of a sudden, he's going to be have a full opportunity to prove all the naysayers wrong. And that's what's driven him so much over the course of his career from Chicago to Minnesota to Philadelphia. The fact that he was able to take Minnesota and guide them to the playoffs for the first time in, you know, half a a century almost, you know, he was able to do so much with that team. He was their best player in Philadelphia last year, even with Ben Simmons, even with Joel Embiid. And I think he's going to look at Miami's roster and say, all right, you guys follow me. I will carry you to the promised land. And I think he's going to put up some pretty huge numbers and he's going to garner some MVP consideration. It might not be as as good as Paul George's numbers were last year with Oklahoma City when he was a legitimate MVP candidate, but it'll be close enough. And I think there's enough talent distribution around the league where it might dilute some of those other MVP candidates. And for Jimmy, he'll be the singularly best player on Miami's roster. And so I think he'll get the kind of consideration that he might deserve. Nice. I like it. I like it. Well, hey, everybody, make sure that you follow David. He is on Twitter at DRamil. That's D-R-A-M-I-L 13. And subscribe to his podcast, Locked on Heat. You can find them on Twitter as well at Locked on Heat. Uh, Check out his stuff at The Step Back and at Forbes Sports. Miami Heat are going to have an interesting season. And David, thank you so much again for coming on with us, man. We appreciate you. My pleasure. Take it easy, man. Thanks again to David. I had a blast talking with him. Great stuff about the Miami Heat. And now for our final interview of this week's season preview podcast, we have Laz Jackson to talk about the Detroit Pistons, kind of what they're looking forward to after their eighth seed appearance last year in the Eastern Conference playoffs. So let's jump right on over to my conversation with Laz. 
Hey, welcome back. So now we are joined by Laz Jackson. He is editor of the Detroit Bad Boys, the SB Nation Pistons affiliate and host of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. He's joining us, obviously, to talk about the Detroit Pistons. So, Laz, how are you doing today, man? I am doing well, Jacob. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hey, no, thank you for jumping on. So you guys can follow Laz. He is on Twitter at Laz Chance. And Laz, let's just jump right into it. So the Pistons... At the end of the season, they end last year 41-41, and 41, a perfect 500, good for eighth in the East, and then go to the playoffs, eight versus one seed, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, that ended up being a sweep, 0-4. And then the summer hits, and, and some interesting things happening with Detroit. So before the draft even happens, they trade John Luer to Milwaukee for Tony Snell and a traded player exception. That one was kind of to get, um, to get Milwaukee some some salary flexibility uh they draft you're gonna have to correct me because i'm probably gonna screw this name up zeku dumboya seku dumboya seku dumboya okay uh 15th overall right outside of the lottery and then at free agency signed Derek rose tim frazier and a guy that the thunder are familiar with markeith morris uh signed them all to free agent deals so overall they over the summer, they've added Tony Snell, Dumboya, Rose, Frazier, and Morris. They lost Ish Smith, Glenn Robinson, Zaza Pachulia, Wayne Ellington, and Jose Calderon. All that accurate? That is about right, yeah. Awesome. Okay, so uh, really no injuries heading into the start of the season. As far as the salary situation, I was looking this up. This is Detroit is towing the line on the luxury tax. What oh, I baby. saw... Yes. It's like half of my salary as a teacher um, away from that luxury tax line. I mean, they're right there, about 20K away. Um, so I, I thought that was pretty funny. But so this season, expiring contracts. They have Reggie Jackson on an expiring $18 million this year. Langston Galloway is on an expiring at $7.3 million. Thon Maker on, ex- on an expiring $3.5 million. Tim Frazier and Christian Wood, both on a minimum deals. And then possible expirings, they have player options for 2020, 2021, would be Andre Drummond, Tony Snell, and Keith Morris. So next season, the Pistons are projected at 37.5 wins via Westgate. Uh, that would put them at ninth in the West. Westgate has the Orlando Magic four games ahead of the Pistons and so the Pistons on the outside looking in on the playoffs next year so to get this little Q&A started Laz the Pistons have made the playoffs twice in the last five years they've both been sweeps in the first round just kind of like hovering their playoff non-playoff you know like late lottery or right outside the lottery um to not to sound rude but just kind of hovering in mediocrity uh, how do you see that going this year? And is there a path forward to contention for this team? So the thing that I will tell you is that the Pistons were hanging around the six seed until the final seven or so games of the year where Blake Griffin got injured. Um, that was then, and then they stumbled into the playoffs, but they were on pace to be a 43, 44 win team. Uh, before that injury occurred now you can say you know Blake Griffin's an injury prone guy maybe uh, you could have seen that coming etc etc but you know if Blake had been healthy the entire year this is a a six seed 
and you know they probably still lose to the uh, Sixers in the first round, but uh, the story, the mediocrity story, kind of feels a little bit different. Yeah, you know? the narrative changes a little bit in that sense. Yes, yeah, definitely. And so the expectation this year is to, um, you know, obviously maintain that level of health for Blake and Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson played all 82 games last season for the first time um, in his, in uh, his Detroit career, and so maintaining those guys' health. Uh, will hopefully lead to uh, somewhere around like the sixth seed uh, in the Eastern Conference and uh, a playoff spot in a uh, you know the top two teams in the East are, are very dangerous and then after that the teams are less dangerous and so there's the potential for uh, for the Pistons to make some noise in the playoffs and in that manner and so I think the expectations are definitely to do uh, better than they did last year in that way absolutely okay. very good so. I'm glad you brought up Reggie Jackson, a guy that Thunder fans are familiar with. Uh, The narrative there, though, over this past year seems to be the stock on Reggie Jackson over the past 12 months has has somewhat started to diminish a little bit, especially now that he's an expiring contract versus Derrick Rose's season in Minnesota last year. Everyone kind of saw his stock rising kind of almost as a as a bounce back kind of guy. How do you see that tandem at point guard working this season? Are they going to play strictly um, like ones on the court, ones not on the court? Do you see them playing minutes together? Um, is is it going to be one of these things where they play similar minutes, or is Reggie Jackson going to be clearly be the starter and get the starting minutes, especially in a in an expiring year? Uh, how do you see that that combination working? So Reggie has always been a guy who does not play like up to thirty minutes a game. And so there have always been times, even under Stan Van Gundy, when uh, Ish Smith would close games for the Pistons because Reggie Jackson didn't have it. Um, And so I think there is definitely a possibility that Derrick Rose closes games for the Detroit Pistons. Derrick Rose is also somewhat of an an injury uh, uh, substitution for Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson has been plagued by injuries in his time in Detroit. and uh, two seasons ago, he had a grade three ankle sprain that basically uh, took him down to like 50-ish games in the season. And the training staff actually before this year was telling the coaching staff like, hey, Reggie Jackson isn't going to be right until about January or February, which was – so he played all, all 82 games, but you definitely saw an improvement in his play uh, post-All-Star break. And so the, the hope this year is that with a full – uh, off season where he's not, you know, rehabbing a, a lower half injury that he's he's a little bit better this year. But at the same time, the the Pistons have a Derrick Rose and, like you mentioned, Tim Frazier as uh, as backups in case something were to happen to him. Um, the and the story with him has been he has been really the key for the Pistons to be successful uh, during his time in, in the Pistons uniform. Um, the Pist- and that's because the Pistons have always had really bad backup and tertiary point guards like I can go down the list for you it's it's been like Bano Udre like Steve Blake Jameer Nelson Dwight Bikes last year it was Jose Calderon was the third string point guard who was forced into action after Ish Smith got hurt and uh you know you know trotting out 35 year old veterans has, has always been a great recipe for losing games for the Detroit Pistons and so I think the the hope is this year that a Reggie stays healthy and b if he doesn't um, that Derrick Rose can uh, start capably and that Tim Frazier is an adequate third option. All right, very good. So the the roster, we kind of talked about who they picked up this summer, some expiring deals they have going into the season. Do you see 
for the most part, this roster staying put for the entire year? Or do you foresee Detroit trying to be active in the trade market, especially once December, January, February get here, uh, to, to make some changes and, and see if they can maybe push into that home court? Like you mentioned, the, the top two teams in the East are, are formidable. And then after that, there's a lot of uncertainty. So do you see Detroit trying to make some moves to kind of vault themselves and maybe throw their hat in that ring? Uh, I do, I do. Especially when you look at the roster as a whole. Uh, they have a glut of shooting guards. I believe they have uh, four or five shooting guards on the roster. And then if you look at the big men, they have uh, a glut of guys who I think would function as small ball fives, but they don't, uh, aside from Andre Drummond, they don't really have a true center on the roster. Uh, thought we discovered last year that Thon Maker is not a center. He played his best minutes uh, next to Andre Drummond, not uh, in a replacement of him. And so uh, a deal where the Pistons trade the expiring contract of Langston Galloway for a backup center, uh, a quality expiring backup center who's a veteran, has been um, on the minds of Pistons fans basically this entire offseason. It would make sense for something that, for something like that to occur around the, the deadline if it or even before. Um, if it proves to be an issue uh, between, you know, Thon Maker and Markeith Morris and, and Christian Wood, none of them being able to handle the backup center minutes, uh, I do see something like that occurring. Okay, interesting. So kind of staying on that same note, Reggie Jackson, we mentioned expiring contract. Do you see him being in Detroit after this season? That is a that is a really tough question. And uh, I personally I personally don't. Uh, not necessarily because Reggie has played uh, poorly when he's been able to play for the Pistons, but that uh, there was a, a clash of styles, I guess, between him him and Dwayne Casey last year. Uh, Reggie was effective, but he also shot uh, the most three-pointers he's ever shot in his career and uh, chafed a little bit at being asked to to give up the ball more and, and uh, cede the ball to Blake Griffin more than, uh, than he was used to. Um, he was effective in that role, but I don't know if uh, that's a role that he, he sees himself in. Um, and so, you know, I, I do think that the uh, there's a chance. I think the chances are better that Reggie Jackson doesn't return than uh, than he does. Okay, so if you think he doesn't return, do you would you assume that there's a chance that he isn't on the roster after the trade deadline? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't really see him being traded. Um it would be difficult to find a starting level point guard of uh, of his caliber at the deadline that's just available. Um, I don't know. I don't. When I look around the league, I don't see any teams that are you know so in desperate need of, of cap space uh, next season that they're willing to trade uh, for an eighteen million dollar expiring and, and give up their starting point guard. You know, I don't. I don't really see that yeah. happening, especially with. Uh the free agent market in 2019 or sorry, 2020. It's yeah, just, that's it's just non-existent, you know? Yes. So, all right. So which players on this team do you foresee taking uh, big jumps from their performance last year to their performance this year? Obviously um, the rookie Dumboya, uh, you know, rookies and second year guys are always, always candidates for that. But, but who do you see that has like a, a higher ceiling that still has a lot to achieve that can maybe have a breakout year? So I, I am going to cheat a little bit and use a second-year guy and tell you about uh, Bruce Brown Jr. Uh, he was a second-round pick last year out of Miami, was, uh, was a lottery talent perhaps, but uh, was injured and a non-shooter at this point in his career. And so those kind of things like really, really hampered his, uh, his offensive ability, and I think that's why he fell a little bit. But uh, 
he's a he's a really tough, really rugged defender. And uh, something that we saw in Las Vegas this year was uh, he is an excellent passer. They they put the ball in his hands and made uh, gave him the starting point guard role in Las Vegas, and he showed out admirably. He had a triple double. He had a couple of like 10 or 8 assist games, which if you watch Las Vegas Summer League, you know how difficult it can be for point guards to get uh, up and assist between uh, you know guys not being able to shoot and guys not being able to finish and just like the lower talent quality overall usually in Las Vegas. And so uh, I don't think Bruce Brown is going to be the Pistons like point guard of the future or anything like that, but he played 1,500 minutes last year and was like a really, a really deleterious offensive player. Um, if he's a little bit more confident in his ball handling, more confident in his passing, he's got a great first step. If uh, if he plays another 1,500 minutes this year and, and uh, improves offensively, the Pistons will be in a much better spot. Nice, nice. All right, so before we let you go, I got two more questions for you. First off, and, and I think you've kind of already answered this, but we'll just get you on record. Um, earlier we mentioned 37.5 wins via Westgate for the Pistons next season. Those projections would put them at ninth in the East. So both of those things, the wins and the seeding, uh, are you taking over or under for each of those? Uh, I'm taking over for, for both of those. The Pistons over under, I believe, at the Westgate started at 35.5 and, and got bet up to 37.5. And, and, and again, like you said, they were a 41-win team. And, and like I said, they were a 43-win team before Blake Griffin got hurt. Uh, that's been a point of discussion on the uh, board of Detroit Bad Boys. We're, we're thinking that Vegas is, because the Pistons are not a, a, ma, a, a popular team, Vegas is just pricing in really heavily the fact that uh, Reggie Jackson and Blake Griffin might not play as much as they did last year. Uh, that's the only way this number makes any sense, honestly. Um, and so I would, I would, uh, I've been encouraging people all season, all off season, to to bet the over on that one. Very nice. All right, and then so so when you said earlier, you think as high as like seed six, is that right? That seed six is a possibility, absolutely. Okay, okay, and then so last one before we go. Hit me with three predictions for the Pistons this coming season. They don't have to be hot takes by any means. If you want to throw out hot takes, uh, we'll go for them. But they don't have to be hot takes. They don't even have to be team-related. You can give us like some individual-related predictions. But what are three predictions, three things you think will happen in this next season for Pistons basketball? So I think uh, the Pistons will have two All-Stars. Blake Griffin Ooh. and Andre Drummond will both make the All-Star team. Okay, I like that one. I think uh, Svi Mikhailuk, the rookie that or the second-year player that they acquired in trade for Reggie Bullock last year, I think he plays at least 1,000 minutes. Um, that's a little bit of a surprise. I think he played like a grand total of like 200 minutes last year, but okay. there's definitely a spot for him in the rotation, and, and he can seize that. And uh, I think that Langston Galloway is traded by the trade deadline. Okay, those all three seem seem pretty realistic, especially the the All Star one because it feels like. The East, there's there's definitely some some spots up for grabs in the East, um, but most of them are are big man spots because I feel like the guard spots are probably going to get locked up. So, uh, so good though, I like those. I like those. Um, well, make sure that you guys follow Laz. He is on Twitter at Laz Chance. You can also find his work. He is at Detroit Bad Boys the SB Nation Pistons affiliate. You can listen to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. It's wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm sure they're everywhere. Laz, again, thank you so much for jumping on with us. We really appreciate you, man. No, thank you so much again for having me, Jacob. Yeah, see you later, dude. See you. Thank you guys again so much for tuning in to week two of our season preview podcast. 
We had a blast recording with these guys. Uh, awesome, awesome dudes. So again, make sure you follow them all on social media. If you're interested in downloading their podcast. One more shout out to Evan Damerel from the Cavs, Richie Randall on the Hornets, David Ramil on the Heat, Laz Jackson on the Pistons. Hey, if you guys haven't already, if you listen to us on iTunes, go and drop a five-star rating for us. It doesn't take a whole lot of time. And what that does for us, it shows us a lot of support and it makes our podcast easier to find on their platform. The more ratings you have, the, the easier you are to find us on, say, somebody searching for NBA podcasts or basketball podcasts. It makes us pop up a lot earlier on those searches. So it would really mean a lot to us. If you guys listen and you enjoy us, uh, just drop that five star. That would, that would mean a lot. You can expect a new Thunder-centric podcast from us coming this Thursday. They're probably all going to drop Thursdays until we get back to the regular season. It's only like two months away, guys. It's coming up. At that point, we're back to the post-game podcast. We're going to drop one for all 82 games. So, And hopefully some of these guests that we're getting on these season previews will come on to chat on post-game pods as well with us. So, again, thank you all so much. Hope you enjoy this season preview podcast. If you do, holler us on Twitter. We're at the underscore uncontested. Let us know that you're enjoying them, uh, and we will pass on your sentiments to our guests as well. We will talk to you guys in a few days. Have a great start of your week, and thunder up. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.